0: We look at mercury being the number one issue for seafood around health and wellness. That's what's a process known as biomagnification. And so that's why your swordfish would be 300, 500 times what you may see in a herring And that's what we set out to do from the beginning, that is protect mom, kids, everyone from mercury so they can live healthier, happier lives. Much of what the FDA is really doing is more in line with perception management as opposed to true food safety and health protocols.
1: Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to
2: the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends, I cannot communicate enough to you how important today's episode is. I'm obsessed with fish. I think it's one of the most awesome proteins ever. It's an anti-inflammatory amino acid profile. It's high in omega-3s. It's high in minerals and nutrients. But here's the problem. Our oceans are so polluted today, and I don't think people quite understand the level of toxicity that they can get when they eat seafood. From the mercury, from the environmental toxins, it is such a problem. I just think people don't realize this. Like They eat the fish. They're like, oh, it's fine. It's good for me. When really that mercury can be doing so much damage. So when SafeCatch reached out and I saw their mission about low mercury fish, I was really excited because I was like, yes, now I can dive deep into the regulations and what's actually happening with our fish. And honestly, talking to Sean Wittenberg blew my mind. Friends, just prepare yourself for an epic conversation. And by the way, you can get 20% off site-wide at safecatch.com with the coupon code Melanie Avalon. But anyways, the things we talk about, we talk about why mercury is increasing in our fish and the environment and how it relates to climate change, wild versus farmed fish, and is farm fish actually lower in mercury? And what does that mean? The traceability issues and fish fraud, pretty scary stuff. How mercury levels vary in fish within the same school of fish. And the crazy reason for that, it's kind of crazy. A hack you can do for your seafood to increase your accessibility to omega-3s. And the overwhelming extensive process that SafeCatch goes through to assure the safety of their fish. And it is so eye-opening about what they do compared to other companies. And honestly, it's a little bit upsetting learning about what happens with a lot of companies and what SafeCatch is doing to address that. I can't wait to hear what you guys think about this episode. And again, I cannot recommend enough SafeCatch products. And you can get 20% off site-wide with the coupon code MelanieAvalon at safecatch.com. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash catch. Those show notes will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we talked about, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, intermittent fasting plus real foods plus life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post, and again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. And also friends, the holidays are upon us. You do not want to miss my holiday gift guides. So get on my email list to make sure that you don't miss those. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash email list and make sure you look for the welcome email and then add me to your contacts so that my emails don't go to spam because oftentimes people think I'm sending spam because I'm sending you guys awesome codes and sales and things. And then the email filters are like, oh, this is spam mail, but you can avoid that if you add me to your contact list. Again, that's melanieavalon.com slash email list. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just wanna break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is MelanieAvalonOfficial. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update, it is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin. So you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel their vitamin C serum. They have shampoo and conditioner skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the golden globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code clean for all 20 to get 20% off site-wide. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. I've been looking forward to it for months and the backstory on today's conversation. So I talk about a lot of things on this show and my other show, the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And two of the themes that I talk about a lot is one, my massively high fish consumption and how much I just love eating fish. And then two, I have talked a lot about my history with mercury toxicity and detoxing from that and just the really bad mercury poisoning that I experienced and how I'm super concerned about it, especially with mercury levels in fish. So when I was approached a few months ago now by a company called Safe Catch, which I had heard of, you'll see them in stores. I was so, so excited. And we'll talk all about this in today's episode, but their focus is that they really test for mercury levels in the fish. We'll talk about you know, how they compare to normal mercury levels and other seafood products and such. But basically, I only had to see like one sentence about this company and I was like, I am all in, sign me up. And we'll talk about this more, but the products themselves also have a lot of things that I'm really obsessed with because you guys know I don't like fillers and additives and flavors. Like I just like pure whole food and they have... I mean, they don't package with oil. It's actual fish in the can and the pouches. They have salt-free versions, which I am all about. So basically, they're my ideal packaged fish company that there is ever. And I am so excited to learn so much and all about this. So I am here with the president and co-founder, Sean Wittenberg, who I also just learned has been doing intermittent fasting for like, how long did you say? Like 15 to 20 years?
0: Yeah, I mean, since I graduated college, and so I graduated college in 2004, right, 2005, around the cusp there. So I've been doing it for quite a while now.
2: Accidentally fell into it, like you were saying.
0: Yeah, accidentally fell into it, just because it was part of just, I would wake up very, very early to go into uh, fish processing facilities as we were developing technology. And We'll have that go a a while. So I would be waking up, and it would be three or four in the morning, and you'd be going in, and so you just, I wouldn't eat breakfast, I'd have a cup of coffee, and then next thing you know, I wouldn't eat until like late in the morning, early afternoon and only eat over like six to eight hours and go back to bed at like 8 p.m. And it just happened. And then it just started to work for me. And so it was something I just fell into, but your body responds and energy levels were improved with less food. It was crazy. So yeah, it's great.
2: That's actually not that long, that 20 year mark, but we do hear a lot of people that you know, we're just doing intermittent fasting by accident or because it made sense to them. And then it became, you know, a whole thing. Although actually segue talking about falling into things. So your role here now with safe catch, I mean, you just mentioned that you were obviously for, for years, you've been working in this world. Was that by accident? What made you decide to get into this?
0: you consumed a lot of fish and you've got you had your bout with mercury toxicity my my history with mercury toxicity happened through my mother and so i was at university at uc davis in around 2001 2002 right in that strike zone and i came back on a holiday break to find my mom unwell and she had symptoms which she really didn't understand my mom is a pretty sharp lady you know ran her own business you know the lights are on but when I came home from school, she was having, you know, cognitive problems and some motor skill problems and just a variety of, of ailments that, that didn't line up. She would start talking to me and, and all of a sudden she would like kind of stop mid-sentence and try to almost like, like an Alzheimer's type of memory gap. She would just freeze. And then she would have these issues of, of numbness in her hands and her feet. And she would have kind of balancing issues at times. And the symptoms were really scary So 2001, 2002, when we took her to the doctor, they really didn't know anything about heavy metals or mercury toxicity. And so they began taking us down this path of different cancer treatments and scans. And we went down and saw the experts and they couldn't find cancer, which is great. Thank God for that. But we still couldn't figure out what was hurting my mom, what was causing this problem. And so they started to take us down the autoimmune path because that was the next level of trying to understand these wide range of symptoms and try to figure out the genesis of them. And while that process was happening, a nutritionist asked my mom, have you ever had your heavy metals tested? And we were like, why? What are you talking about? And so nevertheless, we listened to the the nutritionist because we're trying to find solutions and she gets her heavy metals tested. And sure enough, her mercury level was 10 times higher than what the FDA deemed was safe. So her, her levels were off the chart. And what we realized is that my mom was trying a diet, a point-based diet system. And she didn't tell us much about this, but we learned that canned tuna was one point on this program. And so my mom was eating five or six cans of tuna a week, not telling us that she was trying to manage weight. And that was that was it. And so they she had to stop the eating the canned tuna and she had to do chelation and she tried to remove all the heavy metals and do all of that. But for me, it was like this kind of aha moment of something that I felt I could participate and solve for other moms. And so when we began, we began by studying mercury and fish and the industry and what was going on, as well as the technology solutions to do the testing. We saw that there was really accurate testing technologies out there. The two primary testing platforms were ICPMS, which is a plasma mass spectroscopy system. The other one was called CBAA, cold vapor atomic absorption. These two platforms are very accurate, but they require a sophisticated operator. They require a laboratory setting and they cost between 50 to a hundred dollars to perform one test. And they take a day to a week to turn around results. So while they are accurate, they're very expensive and they require a lot of infrastructure and cost to get their testing done. And so when you look at the tonnage, the volume of seafood going through the United States, as an example, it's, it would require, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of tests. So when we got started, we thought this was a technology problem. And if we built the technology, that we could give it to the government, we could give it to the industry, and they would take this technology and solve this problem for consumers and for, for the people. And, we could go move on with our life, and so I looked at this originally as a as a graduating school good deed for the world before I go out find my way right. And so, from 2003, we while I was still in school, we started working on tech solutions. By 2004 to five, we started to really have some traction. I was really blessed because my dad is a patent and trademark attorney, so he had some experience there that I could lean on, and he had some friends that had labs some PhD physicists, friends of his. And then I had some friends as well through UC Davis, as well as Stanford that were PhD double E's and chemical engineers. And so we had this this really blessed group of, of, you know, super sharp scientists that were able to come together and we developed a principle that was totally new for testing mercury in fish. And then we figured out how to take that idea and put it into an actual machine. And that got done really in 2005, 2006. And then in 2007, I went still extremely green and naive about how the world works. I mean, to be quite blunt, but I still, with my my optimism and hope, I went to Bethesda, Maryland, and I sat, sat down with Dr. Atchison. And Dr. Atchison, 2007, through the FDA, was the head of food safety for the United States under George W. Bush, the top, top dog. And so I sat down with him with this big stack of results and proof of our machines' accuracy and all the things you'd expect in a in a presentation to the FDA. And I sat down with him in a conference room in Bethesda, Maryland. And the conference table was like, you know, something out of like that original Batman where Bruce McWayne has the table that's like two miles long, it felt like, and we sit down with him and and I walked through data. And while I was there, I didn't even get to finish my full presentation before Dr. Ashitson asked me can you test for lead? And I said, not yet, but we're working on it. We're going to work on all heavy metals, but we're starting with mercury. We have that. And he's like, well, we're having an issue right now with lead and gummy bear vitamins from China. These children's gummy bear vitamins have lead in them coming from China. And so our first reaction was, was like, well, why don't we just stop importing the gummy bear vitamins? Like, isn't that a good, easy first step? And he's like, well, it's part of a bigger trade program. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts. And I mean, it was just a bunch of, of politics speak to me. And he basically left me from this meeting saying, well, we'll look at what you built for mercury, but if you could look at lead for us, you know, that would be really valuable. So I left there, you know, half deflated, a little confused, but like hoping that he's going to look at our technology as we look at lead. Well, when I left that meeting, and I went back to my hotel room in D.C. We had left for the meeting so early. We left before the newspaper arrived. And when I got back to my hotel, the newspaper was sitting there in front of the room. And I picked up the newspaper and above the fold in the Washington Post on the top headline, it says, lead found in gummy bear vitamins. And I sat there and I just had this kind of aha moment. And I realized that, that the FDA is grossly underfunded to realize its mandate and that much of what the FDA is really doing is more in line with perception management as opposed to true food safety and health protocols. Two things happened from that meeting. Number one is I never, I never made fun of another person ever again for being paranoid about their health and taking their own health in their own hands. And number two is I realized that if we're going to protect people, it's not going to happen through the government. It's got to happen through, through a brand or through a partnership. And so the next six years after that moment, I stopped trying to get the government to participate in what we were doing. And I tried to take this solution to the biggest seafood companies in the world to try to get them to adopt our technology because the goal for us was not about necessarily money. It was really just about helping people and how can we get this technology in the hands of those uh, that are selling the most products to the most people so that we can help the most people by providing this technology. And so we went to all the usual suspects, the biggest distributors, the biggest seafood providers, all the big three for tuna, for canned tuna, star Kiss, bumblebee, chicken of the sea and all that. And we worked from about 2007 to about 2013 in that six year period trying to get all of these folks to work with us. And we did a lot of good, interesting R&D work, but we realized through working with these firms that they were really coming back to us with two narratives. One is Mercury is not a problem. Go away. Just basically saying we're making money right now and this is just disruptive and this doesn't matter. Go away. Or the second one was let's test to a standard so weak that everything passes. And so essentially we'll just wash this problem away with your technology by saying there is no problem. And so in both of those, You know, outcome, those are those narratives that we received. If you think about it, my mom would still be getting sick, right? My mom would still, there'd be no protection for her. And that's what we set out to do from the beginning that is protect moms, kids, everyone from mercury so they can live healthier, happier lives. So, what we did was at 2013, I, I linked up with my current co founder, Brian, who helped me support a deal to essentially buy out my original shareholders from my original company and transition from being a technology and certification company to being a brand. And that brand is called safe catch. So in 2013, we made this big pivot and the whole point of the pivot was to go to those same people that told me that mercury is not an issue or to test to something weak and saying, all right, if you don't want to use our technology and you don't want to protect the people the way we think you should, we're going to come up with our own brand And we're going to set it to our own standards and we're going to provide that directly to the people, right? We're going to provide something that fully encapsulates all of our values and at its nucleus, at its core is health and wellness. And so for us, we look at mercury being the number one issue for seafood around health and wellness. And we can talk about how we got to that and then anything else we can add to it. And so you'll see... We'll talk at the end of the show a little bit about other targets and things that we're working on, whether it be radiation from Fukushima or whether it be, you know, testing for the big bugs, you know, like E. coli, salmonella, listeria or histamines. We we look at ensuring that if my mom was to eat five, six cans of tuna a week again, she needs to do so and be healthy. And in fact, my mom is eating five to six cans of safe catch a week right now. We're almost having the exact same diet she had when she got sick. We have her heavy metals tested every three months and her levels are half of what they should be to be dangerous 20 times below where she was when she got tested when she was sick. So the the system works. But anyways, to come back to where I left off, that was our big pivot. And so we had done like before Safe Catch, we had probably performed close to a million mercury tests over over a 10-year period before we became SafeCatch. Today, we've performed almost 8 million mercury tests. To give you perspective on the size and scale of that amount of testing, the FDA, we've talked about previously, in the last 40 years has performed about 4,000 tests. SafeCatch today is performing between ten to 12,000 tests per day. So in a single day, and one shift, we'll do more than the FDA's done in its entire history. And all of that work is being done to make sure that Melanie, for you or anyone who goes into one of our shops, whether it be Costco or Sprouts or wherever you're, you know, Kroger, wherever you are or safecatch.com, you can get access to a fish source that's been tested to levels that would meet the most stringent standards for our most vulnerable consumers. So if you gear your levels up to protect pregnant women, small children, people with Autoimmune issues or people going through chemotherapy. If you set your standards to protect that audience, then a healthy everyday consumer, me, you, whoever, they can eat our products with absolute confidence because they know they could eat it if they were, you know, sick or vulnerable. And so by setting that up, we now have a product where people can eat it, and really put the issue of mercury behind them and just eat it with confidence. And that was ultimately our goal was to just say, Eat it every day, you can eat it all the time and not have to think about this issue. And so we built on that platform of purity. We built on that with you know making sure that our product is fully sustainable. You know, we're partnered with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Program as well as the MSC program or in Stewardship Council. So we match both of those. All of our processing is done by hand. So instead of like heavily machine processed with pre cookers and all these other steps we embrace a very artisan processing technique so we've built new new processing lines within the factory exclusively for us where it's just just a bunch of people hand cutting fish packing you know high quality fish directly into bpa free packaging and we cook our fish in its own natural fats without any additives or fillers and by doing that You capture all the fat-soluble nutrients that's lost in traditional tuna packing, so you get more omega-3s. You retain all the other micronutrients that will actually allow you, it's a biohacking thing, will allow you to optimize your absorption of of those omega-3s as well as the protein and other vitamins and nutrients that are naturally found in seafood. And so when you take that, you have sustainability, you have a better taste that's more nutrient-dense, and then you remove... Toxicity concerns and what you're left with is the fish that you would have enjoyed a hundred years ago before we started to, as a species, really pollute this planet. And I think that would be a good, good next topic, unless you have some questions on that, Melanie, for to like kind of talk about what's been going on in the oceans and why we exist. And then we can also then come back and talk about how the technology works or or whatever you want.
2: I was having flashbacks to my Mercury experience with the memory and stuff. I literally thought I was dying and I literally thought like I was getting Alzheimer's. Was it her blood that she was testing?
0: So we tested both blood and hair. So once once she got her blood test, blood test done the first time, the levels were so high, they thought her results were wrong, right? So they asked to do a follow-up test. And then the follow-up test, they did multiple. Where they tested her hair and they tested her blood. And then they both were pretty close to one another, definitely statistically alike. And then they're like, you know, holy cow, like this is nuts. And so, you know, we just sat down and they're like, you can stop this additional testing. This is the issue. And so then we started with the chelation and the chelation was, you know, I couldn't believe how difficult it was. I mean, you know, my mom was just, it's really, really a physically taxing process to do chelation and try to remove these heavy metals from your body. I'm sure that there's probably better techniques today since there's more people doing this type of work than they were doing, you know, 22 years ago. But for her, it was really difficult. It took almost seven months. She tried it the first time tried to take a break from it because it was just so physically difficult for her. So it took her a while to do it. Some people I guess are tougher with it, but for her, it was quite, quite difficult. And I think that it was a combination of her, her symptoms, how close I am to my mom And then the process to get healthy and then realizing that, you know, for an adult like like you or my mom, most of your facilities will come back to full strength as a developed mind and body. However, if that exposure happened to a a kid or someone whose brain and body is still developing, those impacts are forever. Right. So. This issue of mercury and fish is really a serious thing, particularly for kids and for pregnant women, more so than even adults. While I still say it's important for everybody, that is the most vulnerable group to the impacts of mercury toxicity. So, you know, the statistics that you could get out of, you know, research through, you know, the Harvard School of Public Health and some other reputable research bodies, you know, are talking about a woman... Who gives birth? Who has high mercury levels? Giving birth to a child, that child can have anywhere from seven to fifteen times IQ point loss. And then they did the 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 gradings of saying that if you also don't have omega threes and the fat soluble nutrients, you can also have a IQ and 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 performance loss in your in your unborn child. So you know, as a mother, you're trying to strike this balance between how do I get my omega threes and nutrients to optimize the health of my fetus and at the same time, how do I min- mitigate and remove this mercury issue so that this baby is born with optimal health and wellness with its peak you know, brain capacity and, and physical capabilities? And so that's a, a big part of some of the work we do with the medical community is trying to help them get that answer most succinctly provided to their their clients and patients. But it's a Challenge, you know, it's a real big challenge for for that particular group. So if you think about that in in terms of a of a kid where a hundred IQ is is you know average to you know right where you're supposed to be, that's the middle of the road. So if you had a kid who was going to be born with an IQ of you know one ten, let's say above the curve, school comes a bit easier to that student. Life is a bit easier for that student. You know, they're just gonna they're gonna have a an easier path towards realizing success because they're gonna have a a stronger processor in their, in their brain. You know, that person then can have exposure to mercury and the mom doesn't know this thing or gets an, a deficiency of omega threes during the pregnancy. And that child can lose that 15 IQ points. Now they're at 95. Now that same kid is, is working harder and struggling more to do the same work it could have had, you know, with just a couple of changes during that pregnancy. And it's a really alarming thing to think about because you know, most of the, the expecting parents and mothers that I talk to and families that I talk to, I mean, it's not like they're trying to optimize their kids. What they're really saying is I don't want to screw this up. You know, it's more of a defense mentality. And so what we want to do for, for particularly for pre- through maternity and pregnancy is we want to be be able to give them clear information and data on what's in our products, arm their prenatal nutritionists and their OBGYNs and their pediatricians with the type of data that only we can provide. And now they can specifically give information to their patients that allows them to to maximize their likelihood of having the healthiest pregnancy possible and that's one of the things that we do we don't talk about it too much but it really makes me proud of the work we've built and the team we built and the, the great people we have around our company making that possible that that's one of our our greatest points of pride.
2: Hi friends I am so grateful to you for that because like I said, I'm all about the the health benefits of fish and the omega-3s and all the nutrients. But I just think this mercury is such a problem. And so when I had the toxicity, I bet your mom and I are probably similar because my blood levels were around 30, which is off the charts on the paper. And that's when I, and also just a comment on the chelation. I don't know that it's honestly evolved that much because it's still pretty much, there's like a few different compounds. People use EDTA, DMPS, or DMSO, I think. And it's, yeah, it is really taxing running the IVs. And I could go on a whole tangent about that. I think the biggest like mind blown moment I had in that, that journey was, there's this document I love. (laughs) I would literally like, just like look at this document for, I mean, probably hours cumulatively. And it's this FDA document about mercury levels and commercial fish and shellfish. What made me sad is it's 1990 to 2012. So I'm sure it's much worse since then. But I don't think they've updated it since that 2012 data. But if you look at the the lowest possible option on the chart, which I think is like scallops, it's like 0.003. And then if you look at the highest number... Swordfish. Swordfish, yeah. So swordfish, it's like 300 times the amount of scallops. And I don't want to put a blanket statement for scallops because that was a range, but just to compare numbers. So basically you could be, I, I just remember thinking about this. I was like, so you could be in a situation where you eat one piece of swordfish and it's like you ate 300 servings of scallops or tilapia all in one meal. Because I think the reason I got it was I historically was eating, I was only eating low mercury, quote, species to prevent mercury toxicity. But I moved back to California, and I tried swordfish for the first time somewhere. And I was like, it was so good. And I was like, oh, it can't be that bad if I have, like, a piece here, a piece there. Or if I have, like, a I discovered Chilean sea bass. And I was like, this can't be that bad. And then when we're looking at that chart, I was like, oh it it can be that bad
0: Oh yeah one one swordfish serving can give you your mercury load for a calendar year So that just gives you perspective
2: It's mind blowing and honestly I get upset honestly that it's even and and I'm and I actually posted about this in the group when I was talking about safe catch because I'm personally and I'm all for people being politically whatever they want to be. I personally am more hands-off. Like I don't like a ton of government control and things. But when it comes to this mercury issue, I I don't know how it's okay to like have, I'm getting like emotional, to like have swordfish on a menu at restaurants. Like I see it and I'm like, how is this okay?
0: No, no, it's it's you know, I'm once I started testing, I became the same thing. But let's I think this would be a great way to just explain to your listeners about your audience about how mercury is getting in fish and why this problem is becoming more severe and, and how it gets into the fish. Cause I think that's really important. So over the last 75 years, right? Since right after world war II, let let's say the 1950s to today, the mercury levels in our oceans have gone up by over 300%. Why? Well, the number one contributing factor to mercury in fish is coal fired power plants. And so if you look at what's happened in the last 75 years, the globe has industrialized itself and it's done so mainly on the back of coal, cheap, scalable, it's easy to use. And so if you think about, you know, countries like China or India that were once agricultural nations, mostly farming countries have now become these industrial powerhouses, you know, producing and creating a vast majority of the Of the goods we we buy and consume they did all of that scaling on the back of coal and they did so without any real environmental oversight so there's no scrubbers no filtration systems on much of their coal fired power plants it's basically a cigarette without a filter they burn it and it goes up and you know there was simple math there was an opportunity when they first started to to scale up in the 80s and 90s really was when it really went nuts Uh, late 70s to the late 90s but when they produced all these coal-fired power plants they realized that if we build our foam stacks or our combustion towers where the exhaust comes out if we build them taller we can push this problem into the upper stratosphere as opposed to making it a local pollution problem and it won't it won't hit our neighboring communities but what it did do is it then took the mercury and it started to export it around the world so what happens is is you take coal and you burn it, an elemental mercury HG, if you remember your high school chemistry, is trapped in that coal, In that coal, right, with other, other area, arsenic, other heavy metals. When you burn that coal at 425 C, as that coal is burning, the mercury vaporizes, and that mercury goes into a vapor state, like smokes, and that um, mercury smoke will go up that smokestack up into the upper stratosphere with the rest of the products of combustion. And that mercury will get trapped in the clouds, and when the rain falls, so does the elemental mercury. And what happens when elemental mercury, HG, gets exposed to salt water, other water, a chemical reaction takes place and it becomes a new organic compound called methylmercury. Methylmercury is a far more dangerous compound than elemental mercury. It's a neurotoxin and it's the type of mercury, like 95 plus percent of the mercury found in fish is methylmercury. And methylmercury, once it's in its oceans, is not only toxic, it's really sticky stuff. And so what happens is, is this methylmercury sticks to plant life and plankton. And then these smaller fish eat the plant life and plankton. And when they eat the plant life and plankton, they ingest that methylmercury. So now that methylmercury is in that fish, it's not going to ever leave that fish. It's in it. And then a a larger fish, let's say a sea bass or a halibut, whatever, will eat that smaller fish that ate that plankton or plant life and ingest all the mercury in that smaller fish. And so as you go up the seafood supply chain towards that apex predator, towards swordfish and shark and marlin, you're going to find that the average mercury concentration goes up. And so that's that's what's a process known as biomagnification. And so that's why your swordfish would be 300 500 times what you may see in a, you know, a herring or a scallop or a mussel, right? But what you don't see in that in that process is that within that actual seafood species, while the average is going up, the variance is also widening, which is r squared. So what we realized as we started doing all these millions and millions of tests and testing all over the world, we've installed our technology and we've tested pretty much every major body of water and the seafood stocks within those bodies of water from around the world. And what we realized is that the variance was going up at a higher magnitude than the average mercury concentration was going up. And what that means in simple terms is that you can go into a school of tuna and two fish in the same school can vary in mercury concentration by over 10 times. So within a school of tuna, you could have some fish that my mom could eat every day and have no mercury problem. And there was other fish that if my mom ate that fish, she's going to have the symptoms, or Melanie, you'd have the symptoms that you had, right? So you have this ultra low stock and uh, not in a potentially high stock co-mingled within a school of fish. And so we realized that we had to develop a technology if we're going to protect consumers and provide low mercury fish every time we couldn't batch test we couldn't just take a sample of four or five tuna from a thousand fish and say oh this this is a good bunch and that's a bad bunch and this is a good bunch we realized that we had to find a way to test each tuna one by one and that we couldn't we couldn't rely on some general batch or statistical algorithm in tuna or highly migratory species we had to test them one by one and so that's what set us on our technology path to develop a system that can take a tissue sample about the size of a grain of rice from a particular fish and give you the mercury concentration in seconds. So we'll talk about that in a second. But you now have this issue that we've, we've become really clear on. So around the world, coal, coal usage is sadly on the rise. And it has been because it's so cheap and so readily available. Now, in the United States, through the Obama administration, there was the there there was mercury regulations that were put into place in the United States which put pressure on you know polluters, coal-fired power plants to increase their filtration systems to mitigate the products of combustion such that the mercury levels from our industrial pollution went down dramatically. And in fact, we saw as a result of those programs, the mercury levels in our oceans started to, or in our local areas started to decrease. Then we tested lakes and rivers and stuff like that, that would would be near and around those coal-fired power plants. And it did work, it started to go down. But we're just one of many nations around the world when you're focused more on survival and scaling and, and dealing with really severe poverty, you're focused more on survival and those types of programs and systems are not required. And so, the majority of these coal fired plower plants do not have these scrubbers on top that can remove large amounts of mercury from, from their processes. So, anyways, that coal consumption right now is what's driving this issue of mercury in fish. Why I think it'd be interesting to explain tuna as a species and why that can vary so much. It's not, tuna is highly migratory, so it doesn't stay like in one body of water. And so, this tuna travel in schools and engage what we call feedstock. So they're going from, you know, a bait ball to bait ball, traveling in a school, trying to find food. And they're just have these big, long migration paths, these big, long loops that they will perform through our oceans. And so since the pollution is asymmetrical and these schools of tuna are moving from different levels of feedstock that have different varying mercury levels, you can, the fish will have, this behavior within the school. So in the front of the school, when the schools are traveling, you have a hungrier, more aggressive fish in the school in the front of the school. And then you have a less hungry fish that's a little bit more docile in the back of the school as they're moving to a new feedstock. So when they get to that new feedstock, that fish in the front of the school is going to get more of that feedstock than the fish in the back. And they're going to eat more of that stock, right? And so what will happen then after they finish that feedstock and they go to the next feedstock, the next bait ball that fish that was in the back of the school is now hungrier than the fish that was in the front of the school and they're going to change positioning within the school. And now that fish that was ate less of the first bait ball is going to eat more of the second. And when those, those bait balls have varying mercury levels, you do that over time. And what happens is is you start to get this large R squared, this large variance. And so before safe catch, if you were to go into the store and you were just to buy another brand of tuna the tuna brand just would buy all of the fish. So the low mercury fish is in there. The high mercury fish is in there. They're all mixed together. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a low can. Sometimes you'll get a higher can. And, you know, if you don't eat much fish, maybe, you you know, if you have big body mass, you don't eat much fish. Maybe that, that type of variance isn't going to impact you. But if you're someone like you, Melanie, or someone like me who eats fish five, six days a week, or you're someone who has small body mass, or you're a child with a developing body and mind, or, all these different groups that that risk of high and low is, is not good enough. You're going to get mercury toxicity eventually from just the natural variation of mercury levels in the seafood stock for the other brands. So for us, what we did in the system we set up with our technology, as we said, basically we went first to the medical community and we said, you know, what is the levels of mercury and fish that you think you'd want to see that would not make you just check the box and say, yeah, this is cool. You can, you can sell this legally for sale, but to have it be at a level where you're excited to recommend our products to vulnerable consumers, right? Like to tell a pregnant woman, you know, you're pregnant, you can eat safe catch elite, which is our skipjack or safe catch ahi, which is our yellow fin. You can eat that tuna and and it will you know be a positive for your pregnancy. That was our, our, target in establishing our levels. And we said, whatever stock we were going to be able to establish within that levels, that's what we're going to be. And so the medical community that we spoke to really had their their mindset. They said, we want to see an average at 0.1 parts per million or less as being a target for you. And so for us, what we did is we set our limit for our, our products to meet that average. So our limit is that average. And our average is about half below that. In fact, the average in most of our safe catch elite and safe catch ahi, which are the two SKUs that I eat the most, the two two products we make that I eat the most, those have an average mercury concentration of less than 0.04 parts per million, which would make it averaging like a salmon or a sardine. And we carve out all the high mercury fish from that stock. So for us, we have a process of receiving fish where we have four criteria or steps before we will actually buy a fish. So for us to buy a fish, and remember, we're testing 10,000 of these a day, but to buy one of those 10,000, that fish has to first meet our conventional quality standards. We have a 23-point organoleptic or sensory review of each fish, looking at things like eye clarity and gill quality, salt content, a variety of factors. Once it passes that criteria, it will get reviewed for sustainability as I mentioned, it has to either it has to meet both the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Standards as well as the MSc Marine Stewardship Council. So we verify that. Then we have a social audit step, which is unique to us. And the social audit step is is an artifact of of some of the poor fishing behavior that we saw in the industry that was reported on, particularly in 2016 and 17. And that was an issue of fishermen being trapped at sea, it was like slave-like practices. So what was happening is, these fishermen would go out to sea, they'd be fishing with a company, and what they'd do is they'd bring a transshipment vessel. Another boat would go out, pick up their catch, and then bring the transshipment vessel would bring the catch in, but the fishing vessel would stay at sea. And so these fishermen couldn't get off the boat and couldn't get back to shore, and they were essentially trapped at sea, like slaves. So we had to put together a system with our fishing partners to ensure that that wasn't happening. So we did this, we developed this count on count off program and a policy of no transshipment vessels. So for at safe catch, every fishing boat that goes out has to come back in with their catch. We won't use a transshipment vessel and every fishing boat that comes out has to have a count on count off program. So every fisherman with an independent observer signs a document getting onto the boat and every fisherman has to sign that same doc when they get off the boat and we have to verify that all these fishermen were treated and fairly and received opportunity to get off the boat before we would buy that catch. That's something we don't obviously promote or talk much about, but it's just, you know, it's just not about only doing the right thing for Mercury, but not only doing the right thing for sustainability. You also have to have that social and just the right values to run a company today because there's, you know, when it comes to profit, people do a lot of shady things anyhow. So we have those three criteria. Once it passes those three, the quality, sustainability and social audit, then we will individually test that fish for mercury one by one. And so in the case of our skipjack or yellowfin, that would have to be to a limit of 0.1 parts per million. That would be 10 times below what the FDA says is the acceptable level. Okay, so it's 10 times below the FDA is what we're testing these fish to. And if it matches and passes all four of those criteria, our relationship with our fishing suppliers is saying we will buy that fish from you, right there on the spot, we will buy that fish. If it doesn't meet any one of those four criteria, we will not buy that fish. So right now, what makes us really special as a brand, amongst other things, but what really makes us special is is that behind the scenes, our operation now is here. We have a 10,000 metric ton cold storage facility, and we've got a 6,000 square foot testing facility where we're doing this work, and we have about 120 people testing mercury in fish every day what we're doing behind the scenes before we it's just building and establishing this big safety stock this big inventory of the purest healthiest most sustainable most socially responsible seafood stock we can possibly make and then from there our our manufacturing partners can come to our cold storage pick up our fish and process our fish to by hand with our specification and then we bring that product to market and we sell it around the world right now but that's what makes us really really special is that that system of being able to qualify and test each fish. So people ask us like, why are you in Thailand? Why do you set up in Thailand? Well, the reason we're in Thailand is half the world's shelf stable tuna is packed here. So for us to be able to test 10,000, 15,000 fish a day and to only accept, you know, two thirds or 60, 70% of those fish, let's say on average, the fish that we don't accept has to be able to be sold elsewhere for the fishing groups to be successful. So the fish that we don't accept does make its way into the market. It just doesn't go into to our brands. And that product is, you know, sold to around the world. Like I said, there's there's like six to eight billion dollars worth of shelf t- stable tuna packed in this one area of Thailand where we kind of hide in the shadows of giants as a small little brand.
2: Wow. This is insane. That's crazy about the fishermen at sea. It's
0: stuff you never learn about. Like, we you know, like we talked earlier before the, you started recording, right? You just, you're, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you have a, a general thesis, a general vision and that you're trying to realize. And along the way, you learn so much about how the world operates and you just kind of react to it step by step. You know, the same thing could be said when we can talk, touch on the end around radiation, right? You know, Fukushima hits 2011. We started for the U.S. government. Well, not really for the government, for the big food service providers in the United States that wanted to import from Japan because of our, our background. They reached out to us to start building screening and testing protocols to look for cesium-134 and cesium-137. We built those systems up and for them and started to do that testing work. You know, we were also firm that they contacted in when there was the BP oil spill and BP you know, put anticoagulants on the oil, which makes the oil drop from the surface to the bottom. It was a P- PR nightmare, if you recall, for BP with the oil just sitting there. And every day on CNN, it's showing the the big, you know, lake, ocean size puddle of oil. And so, what BP did is they put these anticoagulants on there, which made the oil drop to the bottom, and it made the Gulf of Mexico look you know, pristine again, but what they didn't realize is when you put an anticoagulant on a PAH, which is the compound built in the oil, while it makes it heavier and denser to fall to the bottom, it also makes it 60 times more toxic. And so it decimated the native shrimp population and the wild shrimp population. And it, I mean, it forever crushed what was one of the most vibrant fisheries in the United States, particularly feeding New Orleans, which was arguably the best food town in a, in America. And they had one of the reasons was they had that beautiful um, seafood stock to to pull from out there. And then that got compromised. And all of these communities up and down the, the coastline there, you know, really suffered from from health wise from that problem. But they hired us to try to do some testing work there to try to, you know, f- figure out just how bad the problem was and if there were areas to to avoid and were areas to aim the the fishermen towards, trying to figure out how to navigate that that disaster that was that man made and it was horrible, and then it was you know greed made it even worse. But the only point of bringing this up is to say that like as our background, we're, we're scientists, right? So we came from that background, and then we had to learn how to make food. So you know, going into Thailand, making the product, learning how to make canned tuna and how to do it better and and how to make it healthier and how to make it taste better. And all of that was stuff we had to learn as we went because they don't teach that at UC Davis. It's just part of the process. It's part of the journey. And, you know, for us, we we even have, you know, customers and folks that will chime in and reach out to us through our info at safecatch.com and ask questions or drop in suggestions. And, you know, that that consumer and customer engagement is one of the ways in which we learn and we grow and we adapt. So I look at my role at Safecatch as not being like necessarily the the big chief, but really just like a conduit between our brand and this greater community and creating an opportunity to allow all of us to f- consider it to be our brand, and that way it can exist in a way that serves the people best by, you know, listening and trying our best to either adapt or explain why we're not changing on any particular issue. So, just for your audience, if you ever anyone ever has fish questions, they're more than welcome to reach out through our platform. And if they have ideas that can make us better, we listen. So, for what it's worth,
2: no, this is. Beyond incredible. Um, Question about the actual testings. And thank you. When you're telling about the variants within the schools, I was literally going to ask that. I was so excited because I was like, I've been wondering this for so long. To recap that, the more fit, intense, better fish that are eating more are getting more mercury.
0: Yeah. and, And it just depends on what, you know, what it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chance in it, right? You don't know what feedstock and where these tuna are technically swimming. And climate change and, and which is impacting this as well right so as the waters warm two things are happening through climate change and which is all documented i believe it was again through Harvard School of Public Health that did this research but it was some division within Harvard that did it but they basically were looking at the impacts of climate change on mercury levels in fish and what they discovered was that two things that that are making climate change increase the level of mercury in our fish one is the warming of our waters are for, are causing fish to eat more, and so they're moving more. They're eating more uh, actual food, so eating more sardines or herring. If it's the case of a tuna, more bait balls, and sharks are eating more, and everything's eating more. So you are consuming more fish. As they consume more fish, they're not they don't have the filtration system in their bodies that that we have as people. So that that mercury's in there forever. And so they're eating more. That's one area that they discovered. The second thing they discovered is that through climate change, we're seeing a really large decrease in biodiversity. So the number of species and the number of fish in the sea are decreasing. And then while that decreases, the amount of mercury in our oceans are increasing. And so what you're having is, is you're having more mercury exposure to less fish. So the amount of fish that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's just like thinking about how many points of contact you have with that mercury, if the points of contact are decreasing, then each point is gonna have more mercury in the point. And so that combination is causing mercury levels in our, in our seafood stocks to go up.
2: So this is a naive question. So these are wild fish, but they're swimming in the stock. Is that man-made?
0: No, no, no. So We just call it as, just the, that's just the, I guess, seafood jargon. No, so these are all wild fish. These are all wild fish. We look at like the like the the school we could call it instead of the stock if you wanted to call it the school, the tuna school. That's the that's what's traveling. Like so there's there's different species of fish. Some are live, eat, thrive, and die in the same area of the waters. You could see, you know, you know, different types of sea bass, or you know, if you looked in the case of maybe some like rock cods or you know, some some snappers and things of that nature, those fish tend to be born, live, and die in, in the localized waters. They're not highly migratory. Tuna, as an example, is, is a highly migratory species, is classified as such. And so it will travel, you know, up to 40, 50 miles a day, and just continuing to move and move and move and move as it as it circumnavigates the world. Now, in the case of Albacore, they would go up towards the colder poles that go from the equator up towards the poles, and that's where they would start to reproduce, and then they would come back down towards the equator, and they do these big northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, big loops. The skipjack, which reproduce many more times per year, two, three times per year, their loops will be through warmer waters. They won't go as far north, and so there'll be a, uh, an oval pattern around the equator, not as high, but wider and so there's these different migration patterns of different schools of tuna within the ocean. So how those different fish are m- traveling and what f- feedstocks are being exposed to is really the, the origin of their potential mercury exposure.
2: Okay, gotcha. And does the mercury not hurt the fish?
0: You know, that's a great question that I couldn't answer for you. I'm not, I don't know. I, I mean, I know that in the case of, of mammals, right? So you look at or or fish that will breathe air. I don't think it's mammals, the right word, but if you look at the states of like dolphins, whales, seals, otters, we know for a fact that those species of animals are affected by the mercury load and you'll find pods of whales that get lost. You know, they get, you know, find themselves in areas where they're not supposed to be. You can find the same thing with...
1: Oh,
2: wow. From the mercury?
0: Yeah, mercury. Absolutely. Dolphins as well. And it just is, you know, they're just getting exposed to it. So, yeah, I mean, this is an issue that affects people and it affects all of those types of species. And whether it affects the tuna themselves, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I'm sure it affects them some way, but the scope and scale, I couldn't speak intelligently to it and I wouldn't want to represent anything on your show that I can't, I can't support with, you know, peer-reviewed science.
2: Speaking of the, the variants within the fish. When you're doing the testing, do you test a small portion of it and that reflects the levels of the whole fish? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. That's a great question. So it started off with us taking a whole fish and testing that fish like 300 times. And so we did is we built these three-dimensional graphs and we would plot where every single one of the mercury results and levels was in that fish, trying to find to discover whether it was relatively homogeneous or if it was homogeneous or if it wasn't, or is there a part of the fish that was higher in mercury or concentrated versus other parts of the fish. And so what we saw was, what we saw was that the mercury concentration in fish, when tuna was relatively homogeneous in the edible tissue. So when you were not, we weren't focusing on organs or, you know, the non-commercial edible pieces, you know what I mean? So when we look at We're looking at like, we looked inside. So in the case of tuna, we found that the mercury concentration was relatively homogeneous, there was about a variance level within the tuna of about 10 to 12%. And so while I publish our mercury results at 0.1 parts per million, we actually internally test that fish to 0.07 to 0.075 parts per million. And we put that 25% buffer in there internally. And the reason we do that is to overcome any potential variance within the fish. So we actually test to 0.07 and we publish 0.1. That's why our internal average is like less than 0.04 because we're, we're screening at a much even more stringent level than we advertise. And we do that to overcome, like I said, that, that relative variance, uh, the relative homogeneity of 10 to 15%. And then our machines ourselves are accurate to plus or minus 3%. And so 3 plus 15 is 18. And so we put that as our risk coefficient inside of our testing limits.
2: Is there less variance in salmon since there's since it's at a lower, presumably, mercury concentration?
0: Yes, yes, yes. And so and it's also less variance as you go down the seafood supply chain away from the apex predators. And so the variance is like in a in a school of sardines or in a school of, of herring or, or anchovy. We test all of those products too. I mean, if you go to our website, you'll see mackerel on there and you'll see sardines on there. And for those species of products, we can actually run a statistical algorithm. So we'll test between 100 to 250 sardines as an example from a catch. And that would be enough testing to give us a statistically relevant Representation of the whole sardine catch, so we can do that there, but we can't do it for tuna. We can't do it for halibut, and so for us, we still test every single salmon because there is more variance in that salmon than there is in uh, sardine. But the mercury levels in wild salmon is much much lower than tuna, and the reasons for that is is largely because of the the life cycle of the salmon, the diet of the salmon are different than the tuna. So a life cycle of a salmon will go out from a river where it's born into the ocean two to three years, go back into that same river, spawn and die. So that fish is only gonna live max three years, right? From its hatch to its, then its birth or its or its uh, pregnancy or its eggs hatching and then it, it dies and it'll go back down the river. So for the salmon that are doing these runs, the average mercury concentration is much, much less. If you looked on our on our cans, we're reflective of that. And so we have on our our products right now for our salmon, we have a published limit of 0.04 parts per million, 96% below the FDA 1.0. That we do that because we just want to be able to provide that standard of you know ultimate purity that we can. And so for us when we deal with people with autoimmune disease in particular, like we really point them in that even that direction where you know, anything, any toxicity at all is, is unacceptable for their, their body. That's as low, low, low as it gets. So when you see our salmons, that's, that's something that anyone could eat multiple times per day, every day, <laughs> never have a, a concern around um, ever accumulating too much mercury. And I know that one of the questions you asked me earlier, I think it'd be a good place to touch on is like, how do you determine how much mercury is safe for you? Well, First of all, you should always talk to your medical professional, but the 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 rule there is a, a mercury calculator, which they call the reference dose.
2: Oh, yes. I know this calculator well.
0: <laughs> that's right. And so the reference dose is basically saying that as a human being, you can have one microgram of mercury for every kilogram of body mass per day. So that's the ratio that you would have of how you run the calculator. And so what the calculator does is it takes the average concentration of mercury in a particular species and they use, usually use the FDA data and then they would use you type in your body weight and what fish you're eating and it can tell you oh it's safe or not safe but that's the calculation now most people aren't measuring one microgram per day they're usually looking at it in the way i consider and suggest people look at it is on a weekly basis because you know that that's just a more reasonable amount of time so that would just you know be time seven so seven micrograms kilogram of body mass per week and so if you think about it it really makes sense you have you know a baby or a small child that's let's say 15 20 kilograms then you have the mom that might be 55 60 kilograms and then you have the dad that's 70 to 80 kilograms well each one of those people because of their body mass can handle a different mercury load where the 80 kilogram man can consume more than the 15, 20 kilogram kid, which is logical, right? That makes sense. That is the general math math behind the consumption regulations. And so for us, you know, when you don't test every fish, you don't test every fish, you really are working off the average. If you're working on the variance, you're not really able to use that calculator all that well. So for us, you know, if you were to go and use the mercury calculator for safe catch products, You could look at it from two levels. You could look at it based on our averages, which is the way I do it. Or if you're really risk averse, you can build your consumption guidelines off of the limit, which would be like ultimate worst case. And so when we make recommendations for someone who, like you or me, I don't actually, I can't speak for you right now. I don't know where you are in your life. But for me, as an example, I work off the averages because I'm, you know, relatively healthy adult male, you know, 76 kilograms. I use that math to guide my consumption in the fish I eat to make sure that I'm always, you know, keeping my mercury levels low. But if say you were pregnant, I would have you operating off of our limits, not our averages, because I want to give you the most risk averse posturing and and recommendation for you because your fetus is the most vulnerable, most vulnerable to the, the issues of mercury toxicity. So that's a little bit of how the, the, the science and the, and the recommendations go from our, from our point of view and from the industry.
2: What are your thoughts as well? Because when I would go down this rabbit hole of researching all the species, and this was way before my exposure to safe catch, it seemed like the conclusion I drew was that with salmon, for example, that I decided I actually preferred sustainably raised, responsibly farmed salmon because of what I was seeing in the data about mercury levels compared to wild salmon, for example. How do you feel about safe catch aside, like farmed versus wild? And I know there's like farmed is like talking about variance, huge variance there with practices and everything. I
0: totally get what you're saying. And look, a wild, let's just, let's talk. First of all, farming is in seafood is very much like farming in America, right? You have an organic, biodiverse farm sitting there going to the farmer's market, you know, selling the, goods that they just, you know, harvested from their organic, completely controlled farm. And then you have, you know, the other type of farm, the the mega farm, where you're like, this is, you know, a GMO corn that got sprayed with, you know, pesticides and, you know, it's just, you know, covered in stuff and it's not as healthy. And so that same ear of corn that you get from that farmer's market, from your local farmer who grew it from from, you know, organic soils and tested and, you know, pure everything versus that GMO, you know, DDT covered ear of corn, that same disparity exists within farmed food. So there are some farmed fish operators out there that are doing a spectacular job. Okay. They're, they're keeping the feed protein forward more in, in line with what the fish would naturally eat If it was a wild fish and the pods have, are very low density. So it has a lot of water filtration coming through the pods and they're doing a phenomenal job and it's expensive to do the job very, very well, very expensive to do the job very well. And that's reflective in the price that you would see at your, you know, fishmonger, your grocery store, wherever you're buying your fish, farm fish. And then there's those farms out there that are doing it the other way where you're using a very cheap feed, grain-based, very dense feed that would be producing more omega-6s in the fish than omega-3s. And then they're in a pod that is overpacked. And so to keep the fish alive in that pod, they're dosing it with antibiotics to avoid it from getting sick because the water's not clean and it's not filtration, filtrating well. So the filtration is not working well. And you have all of those types of, of behaviors happening within that farm And while it would give them a greater yield and more product, just like that GMO ear of corn would, you're not getting as healthy of a a product. And if you're eating seafood, you know, you're not only eating it because it tastes great, you're eating it because you're hoping it's healthier for you than any other protein you're putting in your body. But that farm fish might have more omega-6s than omega-3s, and it might have, you know, your antibiotic dose. And so when you look at things like shrimp, which is, you know, the number one seafood item in America is mainly farmed, almost 80, 90% farmed. And there's that huge disparity between what is high quality farm shrimp and some of the dirtiest aquaculture in the world. And so you just don't know what you're getting. And so ASC, as far as a certification label, while it's about sustainability, also puts pressure on having those types of water filtration pod densities to allow for you know, healthier farm stock. I mean, just farm food is something you really have to look for to make sure that, that you know where it's coming from and that you trust the source. So I don't eat much farmed fish, but, but when I do, I, I have to know where it's coming from and I have to be able to, to, to really feel comfortable in that farm. So I don't know if that answered your question, Melanie. As well as you'd like, but it's just a huge wide range. And so from a mercury perspective, when you control the feed, you can do a lot of good in controlling the mercury loads. So you can get a much lower average mercury level and a much more consistent mercury concentration across your portfolio. But for the most part, it's it's a really strong way. Although it's as a funny story, when we first got started testing if it's funny might be sad actually now that i'm just preparing to share it with you (laughs) but uh we were testing a canadian farm salmon back in like 2006 as we first got started and we saw the mercury concentration in this particular farm salmon to be super high like and i thought our machine was off and we were recalibrating and testing it again i was like this can't be right And sure enough, we kept getting the same results over and over again. I took a sample. I sent it to a third-party lab because this was early in our process, and I just couldn't believe it. What we realized was was that this salmon farm, where they were farming the salmon, was near a gold mining operation. And so they use mercury heavily in gold mining, you know, because mercury binds to gold. And so they use mercury to identify in gold, gold mining. So gold mining is a big polluter of mercury in our lakes and streams. Gold mining is. And so we realized that we, we found that out. We're like, oh my gosh, this is like, what a discovery. And so our partner that we were working with stopped buying salmon from that farm. And we protected, you know, a group of people. It was one of our first, like, really good, like, feel good moments where our technology found a problem and gave a solution to protect consumers. And it wasn't in tuna. It was in farm salmon on this particular instance. Now that was an anomaly. I won't I won't say that that's gonna be common practice. I don't wanna alarm anyone on your listening right now, but about farm salmon, because most farm salmon is a great thing to eat. And, and the other thing I wanna touch on really quickly before I get off it is while we talk a lot about mercury and the dangers of mercury and, and other issues in fish, Eating seafood, eating particularly healthy seafood is the best thing you can do for your health from, from a food, from a diet perspective. There's, there's nothing better that you can put in your body than particularly nutrient dense, high omega three rich wild seafood. That's been, that's low in mercury, your body, your, your brain function, your, your health, your metabolism, you know, motor skills, everything benefits from seafood. So Finding a way to at least get two to three servings of seafood in your life on a weekly basis is a fantastic thing you can do for your health. If you only have low income or you're, you have you don't have a, a budget that allows you to really enjoy some of like the wild Alaskan fare or some of the more expensive premium fish, since this is a biohacking show, we can have a little hack for you. If you buy farmed fish like a you know, tilapia, which is a very um, low cost seafood species or things like that, farmed fish that you can afford, try to find yourself a fish oil pill that you trust and take your omega-3 fish oil pill with the seafood that you're eating. Now, what people don't realize is when you take a fish oil pill without the seafood, you, your bioavailability of that omega-3s from the fish oil is, is somewhere between 7 to 15% is the science that I read of that omega-3. Now, if you take that same fish oil pill with fish, even if that fish is a low omega-3 fish, there are micronutrients and things within that fish that work with that omega-3 that allows your body to absorb up to 90 plus percent of those omega-3s coming from that fish oil pill. So taking a fish oil pill with eating fish together would be the greatest way to get the most omega-3s in your system if you can't get, you know, a wild salmon or uh, some of these other species which are naturally super high in omega-3s more than you would really ever need to, to get into your body because there's diminishing returns to omega-3s like any other nutrient. But that's a little hack that we talk particularly to to pregnant women who are middle to low income and really can't afford to, you know, buy $25 a pound salmon from Alaska or stuff like that. So there's a little, a little fun, fun little hack.
2: Hi, friends farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof coffee. epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I will comment on that to make sure you're getting a high quality omega-3 supplement because I get really concerned with the oxidation of the sensitive oils.
0: I'm sure you have on your, your platform a recommended fish oil that you, that you enjoy. I mean, a cold press as a way of of doing it. I like cold press omega-3s from, they take it from salmon frames from Alaska is, is one that I like. So like a salmon where they'll cold press the heads and the frames and pull the oil from the fish there. And that is a high quality omega-3. There's there's krill-based omega-3 pills, which are also very good. There's There's some fantastic ones out there and I don't want to go down all of them, but there's, there's some great fish oil pills out there. And I just don't recommend taking a fish oil pill exclusively without eating seafood, because as I mentioned, you're not going to be able to replace everything that you get from fish with just a pill.
1: I
2: had never thought about it in that context. So I'm, I'm remembering that for ongoing and actually related to that. So the processing, the cooking of your fish of safe catch, how does that occur? Is it low heat? Does it retain the omega-3 oils?
0: It does. It retains all the omega-3s naturally found in the fish in the can and with little to no omega-3 loss from the processing. So it took, like I said, we're scientists. So <laughs> at least that's what we represent. When we came into to building the tuna process, we we started from scratch and we went around and looking at all these different processing methods and all the different ways you can do it. And when you look at traditional tuna packing, what they do is fish are frozen at sea and call them frozen round fish. And so the tuna is frozen at sea, either in a brine base freezer or blast freezer. And then that frozen round fish is brought to, to a landing. And then that fish is unloaded and it goes, well, if it wasn't for us, we'd go into a cold storage facility. And then the tuna packer would go pull the fish from the cold storage facility and process it. And what they would do is they would take the frozen round fish, and they'd put them in these pre-cookers, these racks. And the fish would cook with guts in, heads on, tails on, the whole thing just cook. And they would cook away the fat-soluble nutrients, the fish oils and stuff would would cook away, not 100%, but large amounts would cook away and just drop out. And then you would be left at the end with this lean dehydrated protein. The lean dehydrated protein would come out of these pre-cookers, this cooked fish, and they'd go into these these cooling rooms are basically, they're just a room with a sprinkler on. And it's just like a room with like fire sprinklers above on the roof, just cooling the fish and to bring the temperature down. And once the temperature drops, the fish are then brought into these cleaning rooms where the fish are loined and then cleaned and skin and head and guts are removed and bloodlines removed until you have this you know, tuna loin, four loins on one tuna, and then that's a lean dehydrated protein without really any oils in it or any, or any water in it now. So that fish is then processed into a can and depending on the spec, it would either be a, a solid, which would be mostly steak, or a chunk, which would be steak and flake mixed together. And those are just different qualities of speck. And then they would have to add a packing median to it to seal it and cook it a second time. So we call it twice cooked. So you'd add, it would say in water means that that lean dehydrated loin was added with water. If it was in oil, they added oil. If they were trying to really cost engineer the product, they would add, in some cases, a a vegetable broth and a pyrophosphate. And the vegetable broth and pyrophosphate are just cheaper than tuna and they're fillers. And that allows them to to drop the, the cost of goods, drop the cost down. And then they would seal the cans with either water or oil with the potential of vegetable broth and things like that, seal it, and then they would put it into a retort again and cook it a second time. And then that second time cooking it is what makes it shelf stable and it sits on your shelf, and that's what we all grew up with. And if you go all the way back in time to what happened, how this all came to be was, was really at the turn of the 19th century. You know, it's like as we were becoming the 1900s, this is the turn of the 20th century. So as we become the 1900s, there was a shortage of of essentially canned chicken and the U S population was growing and canned chicken was, was in short supply. And so they realized this fish species, which was they used to call Tombo later rebranded albacore was this process. And if you cooked it once and you cooked away all the fat soluble nutrients and you're left with this white lean dehydrated protein and you added water oil and you cooked it, it was this flavorless white or low flavor, low fish taste flavor, white steak-like protein. And so, you know, when you look at names like chicken of the sea, oh, man. that's where it came from. And so the whole marketing was, was around like, if you don't have canned chicken, this is a cheaper alternative to canned chicken. Now that unit economics and all that has changed over the last hundred years, but the point is, is that's that's how it all started, and so this twice cooked processing method was just an artifact of a demand or a solution to a problem 100 years ago. So fast forward today, we're not looking for a substitute for canned chicken, right? That's not what we're building. We're trying to find the best way to make, you know, a shelf stable tuna or seafood product, and so that twice cooked processing to me was like the old way, which is funny because. This processing technique that we adopted was an even older way. It was a process that was really adopted. They call it the vide method where we just basically cook the fish in its own natural fats. And so if you were to go into the processing line of our, of our co-packer, you have, you know, seven, eight lines that are doing it the traditional way, which would be 95% of what you see, 99% of what you see on the shelves of the grocery stores or wherever you go to buy your tuna and then you could see our products doing it a totally different way. And so what we did is with our sous method, instead of that using that pre-cooker, our frozen round fish that would have been mercury tested and, as I mentioned, went through all of our criteria for acceptance and purchase, our raw material, instead of going to a pre-cooker, goes into an ice bath. And so we take all of our fish and we put it in ice water overnight to slowly get it just soft enough to be able to cut by hand. So we're looking at 33 degrees Fahrenheit to 36 degrees Fahrenheit, right to that temperature. And once we get to that temperature, we'll take that fish out and we'll process it by hand and we'll hand cut and hand pack. So we'll cut that loin out of the fish itself raw, steak that tuna steak raw, and then put that sashimi grade tuna steak really directly into that can without adding anything else. And then we seal the can and then we put that can directly into a retort basket and we cook it and we developed a retort a algorithm for cooking our fish that takes longer at less heat in order to ensure that not only it retains all of its nutrients but that it has the most balanced and delicious flavor and texture we can possibly create again it's it's food you know which for us on this call is both and you know it's both something we can enjoy to eat. It's also nutrients. It's, you know, it's our lifeblood. It's, it's all the things we want it to be. So we don't want it to be just medicine. We want it to be delicious because, you know, that makes, that makes it easy for people to develop better habits if they love what they eat and it tastes great. And so that's how we, we built it out. And it took us about five or six months of ideation just to get the cook method the way we want it. And you know our R&D group and our OEM were very patient with us because, you know, we were, you know, a bunch of scientists geeking out on, you know, how do we make this better again, 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 how can we fix the retort baskets to make sure that the heat distribution is even and making sure that the cans in the center of the retort basket versus the cans on the edge of the retort baskets are all cooked the same with the same thermodynamic conditioning. And we're putting in sensors inside of the, inside of the retort baskets. And, you know building all these data sets to ensure that when people buy our product and they get it that they're getting not only the lowest mercury not only the most sustainable not only you know the the most nutrient dense but also the best tasting and we were hyper focused on that and so that underpins every product we make that same philosophy around you know ensuring every element has been satisfied
2: that is incredible. In the cooking process, is there anything that can leach from the cans into the fish?
0: Great, great question. So we started out looking at lacquer. So we did a PAHs, I mean, not PAHs, PCBs, you know, was a big focus for us in can selection. And so we were concerned about what was, we call it, it's a horrible word to use on your show, but we call it a lacquer, which is basically the sealer so you have steel on steel for the cans as they seal but you need something to be in that little rim there to make it airtight and to ensure that there's no leaching and so we worked with a can provider that provided an organic lacquer kind of made out of natural materials that could go into and be our sealing agent now because of prop 65 in california we don't say bpa free on our packaging because we can't it's not a it's our, our legal staff and everyone tells us not to say it, and so we don't say it, but the I can tell you that the lacquer that we have, that we use to seal our cans is PCB-free, that we test our products for PCBs, and we test our products for everything. We test our products through, through party labs for PCBs, and we've never found any detectable levels of PCBs in our products ever, and that was the concern about the potential leaching
2: what are the cans made out of like what metal steel steel okay so no, okay gotcha and i'm just really excited because i huh, like we we're going back to earlier like there's just so much health benefits to fish but then there's just all these concerns and so you're really just addressing all of that so even with the lower temperature cooking and everything that is just beyond incredible and i saw on your on your website it's kosher as well the cans
0: yeah yeah and so for us like just to take a step back and to think about what we're we're dealing with like that's why you're doing such great work, Melanie, with your podcast, trying to educate people. But as you know, like it's whack a mole, right? You're just like there's so many things coming at you at so many times. Like you hit one thing, you get on to the next. And so, what we try to do at Save Catch, particularly thinking about single moms. My dad was raised by a single mom, and think about single moms in particular. You start thinking about like, okay, you're a single mom, you're earning money, you're raising kids, you're running a household you're, you're doing super, super power stuff. Right. And so can we create a brand that she's like, okay, I just can look for the safe catch brand. And this one is this, this, this mole is not going to resurface. This whack-a-mole got hit down. It stayed down. It's out. So I now have something that's fast, right. And healthy and tested and safe. So I can say, like I said at the beginning of this, this conversation, like I'm not screwing up my kids. Like that's, it's not like I'm making their lives perfect. There's it's much more defense than offense. Like I want to be able to say, here's this one for you, mom. You do not have to worry anymore about the mercury issue or about getting the right proteins, the healthy products. And so our marketing team and our our product development team spend a lot of time working on recipes and creative ways to to take our tuna and our different products and and develop different recipes and cool ways to eat it healthy, to keep it fresh and unique so that here's something that's shelf stable. You can leave it in your pantry. It's good for three years sitting there. And now if you don't have time to go to the grocery store, you're running home after your job to come back to see your kids, to then make them some dinner, you have something that's fast, and nutritious. And so it, it becomes a you know a part of this single mom's toolbox. And I should say single parents. I do know single dads as well are doing the thing, but just because of my upbringing and the stories my dad would tell me as a child of the challenges that he faced with having only one parent you know you just start to think about these types of consumers and so for us we're having a lot of fun with what we're doing because we're not hyper focused on you know our commercial success, right We're not hyper focused and we don't have a, a revenue goal or a, something we want to do We just want to continue to keep our mind focused on on the people who are eating our products and, and their families and keep our mind focused on our partners who help facilitate to make this all possible. Like, you know, it's not just safe catches here. We're, we're the brand, but we have, you know, we work with fishing companies now all over the world. I've been in this space now for over 20 years and, and I have fishing relationships. So we'll buy from everywhere from South Africa, all throughout the Pacific ocean, in, you know, Indian ocean, Atlantic ocean, these fishing partners are doing tremendous work. We wouldn't exist without them. And, you know, when we support their sustainable fishing practices and we're able to be a customer for them, it makes that work easier. And when we're able to communicate that to our customers and the people who are eating our products, then they get excited and it completes the chain. But, you know, we give props to our warehousing groups, to our cold storage support, to our pallet manufacturers and our packaging manufacturers and, and you know, all these different folks out there. And then ultimately we're at this phase now where you know, it's hard to build awareness. The same whack-a-mole challenges that a mom has and or a, a family has and making sure that they're doing the right thing, eating the right products, avoiding the potholes and the the riskier items and just trying to navigate this rapidly changing world, right? It's also full of information, real and, and not real. Just it's so, you know, the amount of images through social media, the amount of podcasts, the amount of noise that's out there is, is a lot. And so for us, when we feel we're doing this, great work and we're really providing a product of unmatched purity and quality and and integrity to, to get that word out there, right. To be able to tell people about it uh, in an authentic way where people can really understand that, no, 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 this isn't a gimmick. This is, this is real. It's rooted in, in love and compassion and designed to help you live a healthier, happier life when to get that messaging out there is so challenging. So I just wanted to make sure before our time ran out, that I took a moment to thank you, Melanie, for giving a small brand like ours the opportunity to share our story on your platform, because awareness for us is our hardest challenge today. Explaining to people that we have three to five times less mercury than most other brands on the shelf. And that, you know, we're doing this work because we believe in it and we care about it. And, you know, we care about the people that are trying to live healthier, happier lives. And we care about trying to be a part of that solution for them. But it's so difficult, Melanie, to like to to share this. It's, you know, it's not a, it's nothing that can pop up in a, you know, a digital ad on the side of your Google search or something. And you're like, oh yeah, I learned it all right there. in that little pop-up ad, I'm like, no, like you don't. And so hopefully we can get more trusted experts like you to give us this opportunity, but it's hard. And, you know, yes, it's early in the morning here in Thailand, but it's, an exciting morning for me to have this chance to talk with you, to have the privilege of sharing our brand and company with your listeners and your followers who, who count on you and trust your word. And then to give us that platform to extend your trust and your platform to us is, is, is huge. And it's a, it's an honor and, and we're very, very grateful for that.
2: I am so grateful to you guys. You're literally what I'm searching for because it's just so, so needed. And nobody, I mean, obviously you like basically pioneered what you're doing right now. And I'm just overwhelmingly grateful. And it it goes back to what you were saying about like the trust aspect. It's just so convoluted and there's so many factors and who do you know what to trust? So it's really nice when you can have a company that you can just trust the company and then you're like, you're good. <laughs> like you can get the products from you guys, you know, and be good to go on that front. And even like, we didn't even talk about this. I'm, I'm really curious because I'm fascinated by fish fraud. Have you guys in like looking for when you're, I don't know how the process works when, when you guys are vetting and looking for sourcing, but have you guys personally come across fish fraud? I mean, I just know the stats on it. Like, like the stats blew my mind about the percentage of fish, even at restaurants and at grocery stores that are just not the species they say they are. It's like mind blowing.
0: It is mind blowing. It is mind blowing. And so before we became a brand, right, I told you 2013 was our big pivot but before 2013, we would work with seafood distributors and go into those different environments and do testing and, and you know, try to test to certify, you know, restaurant menus or grocery store, or retail shelves, or trying to do that type of work. So I got a firsthand look from 2008 to 2013. That period of time, I, I saw this happening. And so, yeah, it's it's significant. So think about it like this. You have that farm salmon that is at that real value engineered side where they're focused exclusively on yield and, you know, maximizing their, or minimizing their cost, right? One of these fish farms like that, they're making salmon and that product's going to come out of that farm, let's just say for $5 a pound. And then you're going to go up to Alaska and you're going to go to a wild Sockeye or coho. Well, let's just say coho, for example, and you're going to look at that product coming out of that fishery, and it'll be two to three times the cost just for the raw material, let alone the processing and supply chain and all the other challenges to get it to your your restaurant, to your chef, or to your your fishmonger at the grocery store counter, and so you have a price discrepancy between the raw material of two, three, four x, right? So you can go ahead and you can sell one species for the other. That's harder to do, but what's not harder to do is to, to take a percentage of that fish that you're selling and put in 10% of that farm fish, 20% of that farm fish that's has that three, four X discrepancy. And now you're dropping your costs, increasing your margins. And so that happens a lot, right? And when you go to a restaurant and a restaurant wants to sell a premium salmon, and they sell it all oh, this is a coho from alaska and it's you know msc certified and all that jazz and then it comes onto your plate you know for the average consumer they're not going to be able to tell the difference from looking at it that one was farmed for five dollars a pound and one was caught wild for twenty dollars a pound and so that type of fraud right there is is prevalent it is it is in the marketplace a lot today and I think that comes down to the trust factor for us. It's not an issue for us as a company because we buy, you know, directly from the source. We sort the species, we run it all ourselves. So, you know, we'll get us, we'll get, you know, MSC certified pink salmon from Alaska, and we might get a couple of other species of salmon that got commingled. potentially. We might get a, you know, a Chinook or a sockeye or something might get in the mix there somehow we pull those out. We only pack the pink salmon in there, but it's a very, very small percentage and they're all wild fish and they're all good. But when you get to the actual restaurant side of the world, you know Atlantic salmon is traditionally what you would see would be farmed salmon. So when you see Atlantic salmon on the menu, that's traditionally farmed. And you can ask them if you're at a nice restaurant or even a restaurant that has high integrity, that's a more value restaurant. You can ask them about that Atlantic salmon. And I encourage you to just ask the Ask them about it. Is it farmed or wild? And if it's farmed, like where did the farm come from? What's it called? And they should be able to tell you all that. If they don't know the name of the farm, for me, if I if it's farm salmon and they can't tell me the name of the farm, they don't know much about it, then I usually won't buy it. Um, for me, like if you can't if you can't get me comfortable at the restaurant when I'm sitting down on the farm salmon, and if you can, then I'll have that farm salmon and it could be great. So but that's the reason they do it. And you can see the same thing in other species. You can see it in different types of sole, different types of rockfish, different types of shrimp, you know, that there's just a wide range of value between like a a wild shrimp or even a highly high grade farm shrimp. There's some, some great operations in Costa Rica and stuff like that producing really high end farm shrimp versus, you know, a farm in mainland China, which is really focused on cost engineering. And so that's another issue. Sometimes I'll look at country of origin, and for me personally, I don't want to. I don't know if this is good to say on your show or not. For me, I don't tend to eat farm shrimp from China or India, uh, just because I don't trust the water filtration and the the environment around the pots.
2: I agree with that with the sourcing, and also. I was seeing studies where they were checking fish in grocery stores and restaurants, and it wasn't even the same species, which is just like crazy. And it was shockingly high numbers.
0: Yeah. And there's another, there's another issue that's out there that we call, it's called honey laundering. So what happens is, right, these fish farms will use antibiotics and a lot of things that are not allowed to be in the fish or in the seafood, and they import that into the United States. And the FDA... You know, while it, I mentioned it is underfunded to realize it's mandated, it still is doing work. It still is testing product. It still is rejecting product. So, a farm, let's say a, a, a product from Vietnam of farmed shrimp is coming in and they test it and test positive for antibiotics. And so, like, oh, you're rejected. You can't come in. You have an illegal antibiotic in this. I'm going to send it back. So, what happens to that shrimp? Well, what they what the honey laundering, what we call that is, is they'll take that load of shrimp and the company will ask for it returned. And then they'll ship the shrimp back to the original source. And what they'll do is they'll repackage it and put it into a different brand and send it right back to the United States and, and send it right back. And sometimes they'll send it to a different country. They'll put a Philippines tag on it or they'll put a another country, send it back in. And because the FDA can't test everything, they're playing the statistics game that it will come in and it'll get through the second time or the third time. And eventually it will get into the into the US a different way. And there's nothing that the US can really do to, to stop that. And so that's why getting trusted brands becomes such a big deal in seafood, because you know, it's like, who can you trust? Because that 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 behavior is is happening right now. Another thing that happens right now in the industry is something we call the green card. And this happens with swordfish, which started our conversation. So when you have swordfish, what will happen is is they'll bring in, once you get a certain number of imports in a calendar year that can get tested, you can get something which is like this green green importation card, which allows you to just import without being tested anymore because you've got enough results in under your brand. So what happens is, is people in Swordfish will bring in what we call pups, which are just like baby swordfish, and they'll bring in a couple loads of these baby swordfish, which are, so juvenile, they haven't even lived long enough to um, accumulate the high levels of mercury. And then once they have that number of imports done, they get their card, now they're gonna start bringing in the commercial volumes of the larger fish, which they know are gonna be above one part per million. That's not every provider, I don't wanna just paint a horrible brush across the whole industry, but that is another one of those sneaky behaviors that happens within the industry that allows higher mercury product to swiftly get into the United States. So to me, those two, those two issues of honey laundering and this green card importation system are two, two different areas in which the U.S. government could get a little bit tighter with, with their regulations because the industry knows how to do it, right? Like the industry knows how to work around some of these, these regulations and, and perceived per- protections.
2: That is so overwhelmingly upsetting. I'm sorry, I didn't want
0: to end on that. I wanted to end on something positive
2: well, actually, just really quick question about that, because I, I kind of opened this up by saying that I was, you know, into less regulation, but that I get really upset when I see swordfish on the menu. Like, do you think it should be okay to even have swordfish as something that we buy, for example?
0: Really hard question, because I'm, you know, I'm all about choice. And if you're a consumer and you want to eat swordfish, I feel like you should be allowed to eat swordfish. Like, you know, I have some family, friends people who've known me now for my whole life who I know love swordfish and I tell them this news and they treat it as a, they definitely reduce their consumption after learning the facts, but they still love it and they still want to eat it. And so who am I? Like, I like a drink. Like, you know, if I have one or two drinks, not the end of the world. If I sat down and had 15 drinks, that's a problem. So, you know, if you're going to have something like this, like swordfish, I, I would just, I would caution you to just do so mindfully and with, with the awareness that you're eating something that's high in mercury and that it should be a rarity, something that you really enjoy sparingly, I guess is how I would say it. If you want to have it, just just know what you're eating. You know, it's really important to just know. And if you're doing that, you know, know what a, you're going to eat seafood otherwise, like if you're going to eat swordfish, that should be at a minimum, the only seafood you eat that month at a minimum. and you know, maybe longer, depending on who you are. And if you're, you know, pregnant or trying to become pregnant, or you're a small child, zero, you should eat zero. But if you're a 25 year old or plus, and your body is fully developed, your brain's fully developed, and this is something you want to eat, you understand the risks, enjoy.
2: I feel the exact same way. And I think the main issue was just, and we were talking about this, like the lack of awareness, like I just don't think people realize, like with, you know, wine and alcohol and cigarettes, Like we know, we know the issues, but with fish, like you don't see the mercury, there's not a lot of education. So that's where I think the...
0: (sighs) Think about this, Melanie, like when I mentioned the fact that we're approaching 8 million mercury tests as a company, right? That's more mercury testing than every government, every private laboratory, every private company and publicly traded company in the world's database combined. More, way more. So... A large part of the issue that could exist before safe catches, there just wasn't the opportunity to do enough testing to be able to provide a reliable standard. I mean, the fact that we test every single tuna for mercury, that we know the mercury concentration of every fish that goes into every can, and we can publish exact limits. And those limits and averages are available to consumers to be able to not just use an average representation to the mercury calculator, but use the actual mercury numbers in the product for your actual body mass and where you are in your life. Like, are you pregnant or not? Are you under the age of 25 or over the age of 25? Do you have other health issues? Does your body have a challenging time processing toxins? Like these are all personal issues that each person has to understand. And then that will help shape for you, the individual, what is safe or not safe, but you know, the information needs to be more readily available and consumers need to have more and more accurate information. I think that the information, particularly on on a swordfish versus just how much mercury is in there is is, is not well known. People do not, I'm sure if you're talking to your friends in Atlanta and you're going out to some seafood restaurant in Atlanta, you're going to go sit down and you, you see the seafood menu, I promise you that you're likely going to be a multiple of, of knowledge greater than your friends around the table who are going to go look, oh, I'm going to have this today. Like, oh, this looks good. And they're thinking more about the recipe. They're like, oh, this is Cajun, you know, Cajun swordfish or, you know, black pepper or something swordfish. Like, that sounds good. I, I like spicy or something like that. And they're going to look at it that way. And you're going to be at the table like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, did you know? And they're going to look at you like, what are you talking about, Melanie? Like, it's just fish. All fish is good. And you're like, no, 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 no. There's, there's, you know, it's more nuance to it. The other thing that's interesting about fish, you know, is that, you know, we're just now as a the United States, particularly, we're just now becoming, you know, seafood savvy, like for the United States, that's, that's a relatively new thing. And I think that a large part of that came as, as a byproduct of the sushi boom that kind of took over America over the last like 15, 20 years, where you know, people all of a sudden now know the difference between a bluefin and a big eye and an albacore and a skipjack and a yellowfin. Like know all the tuna species and they, they know the difference between salmon species and they know the difference between grade and quality and they know what good fish shouldn't smell like fish and all that type of stuff is now known for the US population. But go back to when when I was a kid in the eighties, there was I didn't know there was a difference between species of tuna, I just a tuna. And then there was salmon and all species of salmon salmon. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I just didn't have the knowledge base that I have today because if you look inside of other proteins, like there's not a wide range of species of cow, right? There's not a huge range of chicken species. There's not a huge range of pork species, but there are hundreds and hundreds of commercial seafood species being sold in, in the United States and around the world today, like hundreds and hundreds. So you know, there's more types of salmon, as an example, than there are types of commercial pigs, chickens, and cows combined, right? And that's just salmon's. let alone souls, or, you know, there's dozens of species of shrimp being sold in the United States and around the world today. So there's just so, so much more variety in the seafood supply chain. And another thing to remind yourselves is that, like, seafood is one of the last products that we still consume that's, that's a wild animal, I mean, we're not having a lot of, you know, bison and deer and things like that that are wild animals today. I mean, farm chicken, farm cows, farm pigs, and then wild tuna and wild swordfish and wild sea bass and wild. And so aquaculture is is growing at a significant rate. And if done at a high quality operation is a needed and excellent addition to our Food systems and and something that I applaud. So I'm just not like 100% pro wild. I, I I prefer wild fish because I find that the fish tastes better for me when when it has a wild wild feedstock. But as far as health and wellness is concerned, these ASC and other well-run aquaculture operations are are needed because it takes pressure off of off of climate change. And I'd like to talk about that really quickly if we can do that for a second, just to think about it. That
2: no, that'd be great.
0: If you look at climate change and you look at a cow versus a tuna and you look at the difference there, if you were to look at a four ounce serving of beef, right? I'm trying to get this here. I want to get it up. Yeah, so a four ounce serving of beef, right? Would, would put out around 20... S- seven kilograms of CO2 to create around 22 grams of protein, right? So 27 kilograms of, of CO2 for 22 kilograms of protein. When you look at a safe catch, ahi or our elite, right? Which are super, super low mercury. That's our skipjack and our yellowfin. You're going to use about two to three, kilograms of co2 to create 36 kilogram uh, 36 grams of protein right so you're gonna get instead of 22 grams of protein in that four ounce beef burger you're gonna get 36 grams of protein and you're gonna actively remove 25 kilograms of co2 when you choose that safe catch tuna sandwich over that hamburger now that is a powerful way to not only eat a healthier protein, but to actively participate in fighting climate change. I mean, if you look at the impossible burger, right, the impossible burger only has about eighteen grams of protein in that four ounce burger, and they use about four grams, uh a kilograms of of CO2 to make that. So from a from a carbon perspective, that impossible burger is Is an absolute home run compared to the beef burger, but you're getting less protein. But when you look at Safe Catch, Safe Catch is superior to to the Impossible Burger. It has about half the carbon load of an Impossible Burger. It has about you know one eighth, one tenth of the beef burger, and you're going to get a superior protein, and you're going to get fifty percent more of it when compared to the beef burger. So it's just a way to look at us as consumers, right? Where we look at how do we how do we act as as participants in protecting our environment? I look at climate change as the largest threat to the human population and to the world at large. And I look at what can we do as consumers to, you know, be participants in, in the solution. And to me, the food you eat and the energy you consume, those two factors as an individual are the greatest opportunities for you to combat climate change. So- just food for thought, as we put a bow on this thing, just to know that when you're eating safe catch, you're not just doing what's right for you and your body. You're not just eating something that's sustainable to protect the food stock. You're also doing something greater than that. And that is, you're making a conscious choice to, to help protect the planet from climate change.
2: That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands and it is so incredibly easy. It's called melanieavalonscloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options and the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalanceCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. You know, I'm actually... Surprised I haven't thought about this aspect more with the climate change debate because, you know, as you know, it's hotly debated. It's confusing. We hear claims on all sides, especially like the plant-based versus the, you know, regenerative agriculture versus, you know, animal products. And I personally am suspicious about like an entirely plant-based system and the effects on climate change. I think a lot's not accounted for there. It sounds like honestly, Like this is the way to go (laughs) with as far as like ultimate nutrition and climate supportive, like regenerative agriculture and like this type of seafood.
0: Yeah. I mean, and look, I want to say that I also eat red meat and like I also eat pork. I also eat chicken. But for me, like I'm very, very focused on being able to have that traceability to the farm. Like is it grass fed? Meaning is, if grazing is it natural, is it cage-free chickens? Like, how is this? Where? How is the? What's the feed for the, these animals? And when you eat, you know, responsibly raised and 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 processed red meats, you know, then that's a great great source. It's healthy. It can be very good for you, and it can be minimally damaging to our environment more so than than other proteins. But if you're going to do it rarely and or once a week versus you know, many people in America have red meat four or five times a week. If you're going to go from four or five times a week to once a week, and you're to replace those other red meat days with, you know, safe catch days, then that's a great way to make, you know, a shift that's great for the planet or great for your health, and still get a chance to enjoy those foods that are that are delicious. I mean, who doesn't love a, you know, a, a burger or like a steak? I mean, come on. I, I know I do. So I don't want to like push people to a place where it's like, you know, just you know, reject red meat or reject chicken or reject like be pescatarian. I I'm I'm about eighty five percent pescatarian I would say and I have like I have two land animal protein meals per week between chicken and beef and other than that it's basically all seafood.
1: Yeah, we're
2: we're similar actually. I mean I eat seafood most nights. And you test for rate radiation as well?
0: Oh, yeah, we do that. We do that radiation testing work as well. We we stopped doing it at about, you know, 2014 because they had stopped. We hadn't seen any detectable levels. We really never did in tuna because it's a highly migratory species. But we stopped doing that testing at that time. But then in the recent news about Japan beginning to release wastewater again from the Fukushima power plant, we started to implement testing again. And the the testing that we're doing right now is really just preventative and just to, you know, kind of just appeasing people's potential concerns. We have yet to see anything that would be, you know, newsworthy or a point of concern thus far. But we're doing that work because like, but like we said, you know, we want consumers to just be able to know that I go to safe catch and I just trust it. I know that they're going to be doing whatever they need to do to make sure that we're okay and we're safe and that safety and wellness will be, you know, their number one priority above all else. And so that's why we do that testing. You know, that's why we do histamine and additional testing that we do, even stuff that we don't market or advertise.
2: Sorry, I have to interrupt because I'm so excited about the histamine. You test for histamine and safe Catch?
0: Yes, we do. And so not every single day but we test daily. We run samples throughout the day on raw material for histamine testing for the listeners. Histamine is a chemical that develops in scrombroid species. When the fish gets above, I believe 45 degrees Fahrenheit, it can start to develop histamines. And once you cook the fish, the histamine development will stop. So it's, if a fish is temperature abused before cooking, you can develop histamines and histamines will give you like, it will make you sick instantly really with it It could be anywhere from two minutes to two hours after consuming histamines and the results are the the impact for your health is very similar to what's it called kind of like food poisoning, where you could get, you know, you could either be vomiting or diarrhea or both, and it can be quite severe. So obviously that's a problem that is normal. The industry is very aware of it. Most people have really good HACCP and chain of custody protocols. We do as well, but we, you know, just to make sure that everyone's doing their job, we will We'll test each of these catches and make sure that histamine t- results are are passing below any detectable levels as well. We use a competitive ELISA technology for that.
2: I actually have an app called Food Sense Guide, and it compares different comp- eleven different compounds in over three hundred foods. And one of the reasons I created it was histamine was something I was paying acutely attention to. So canned fish is often said to be higher in histamine. So,
0: Well, yeah, it's just all about temperature abuse, right? And so the temperature abuse is what does it. And so it's getting better now. I mean, the controls and the systems are just just much better, but it still can happen. And so we, we do that testing. The funny thing is we started doing that testing for food service purveyors in Las Vegas when we first started before we became a brand. And the reason they did it is that the difference between alcohol poisoning and histamine poisoning are are hard to determine right you can just vomiting and and so what was happening was in las vegas they were having guests who'd go to like some you know michelin rated sushi restaurant and they would complain about getting histamine poisoning and they're like well we think it might be the 13 shots of tequila you had by the pool but well and so what they would say is that you know they couldn't tell right they couldn't defend it and so the, the casinos would end up like, you know, comping people's dinners or comping people's rooms. And, and because they couldn't defend whether it was histamine or not, they just didn't have the evidence. It was our, my word against your word and the PR could be too bad. So it's just cheaper to give someone a room. Well, then they hired us to build the protocols. And then all of a sudden that same narrative would happen. They'd be like, well, we, you gave this histamine poisoning from the tuna at the sushi restaurant. And they're like, no, we didn't. Like, how do you know? Like we have all of our fish tested and we would provide them with results. And all of a sudden, that, that loophole where people would get free rooms, and where got closed, closed the loop. But these are the funny stories along the way over 20 years of doing this, where you're just like, "Wow, you know, sitting in a room with some food safety guy at the wind underneath their hotel, asking us to help protect against, you know, people who are out at one of their day clubs getting, getting drunk and then, you know, asking for free, free stuffs.
2: I love that story. That's amazing. Last rapid fire question: I swear, the ones that are salt free—is all of the fish brined, or is some of the fish brined?
0: Yeah. So skipjack, our skipjack, and some of our yellowfin, but most of our skipjack is is what's called brine frozen. So what it's what you do is is when you add salt to water, the freezing point goes down. That's why you know when you go up to antarctica and stuff like that there's water there around these big icebergs well that water is definitely colder than 32 degrees or 0 celsius and that's because it has a lot of salt in the water and then the glaciers themselves are usually the fresh water on top but the point is that salt water can go down so the same same scientific principle happens in the hole when you freeze it and so you'll have salt water we put the catch of skipjack would go into that salt water freeze the fish and then you drain out the salt water and so some salt can leach into the fish in that circumstances. But if you have a really good fishing supplier, they, they can control that pretty well. And then the blast freezing, which is really all of our albacore and, and our salmon products, the blast frozen, re- freezing there is completely devoid of all salt. So when we have our no salt added products, we only have it for our salmon and our albacore, because those would be would only have the no chance of any type of brine freezing leaching getting into the the products. Our skipjack, our safe catch elite, which was our flagship, the first queue we launched, that one is mainly brine frozen. So there's only one species, no, not no no salt added option because we considered while we don't add any salt to the product, we considered the salts that you'll have in there to be added from the freezing. So we don't ever represent no salt added in our elite and our yellowfin, but we do a good job of controlling the salt content there. And again, for me within our, I don't really eat our albacores. For us, albacore, you know, some people love it. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the, of our safe catch ahi and our safe catch elite. Those are our two lowest mercury tuna species that we provide. Those are the two that are the official tuna of the American Pregnancy Association. So, if you were to go to, the American, if you go to the American Pregnancy Association before Safe Catch, there was just do not eat tuna. And so now the American Pregnancy Association says, if you're going to eat tuna, you can eat Safe Catch Elite or Skipjack. Or Safe Catch Elite. And that's been the big shift. And so one of the ways we've launched our brand and really became what we are today, today, we're the number five brand in America and the number two premium. And the way we've really grown is by building a relationship with with expecting families, with moms, like my mom. And so what we do is a mom now realizes from her health professional, like I want to eat tuna while I'm pregnant and like, well, you can eat safe catch. So then they go and they eat our safe catch. They like it they deliver their baby and they stay on safe catch and they become, you know, loyal, loyal customers and members of our community. And so for us, that has been what we've done year over year. And so we've really been in the marketplace and since, june of 2015 when we launched and so today we're the number one indexing brand with families with kids age eight and under because that's the number of years we've been talking to these families and next year we hope to be nine and under and then 10 and under and each year just building that relationship and staying true to our values and servicing that community but again you know our our safe catch elite not here great for everybody not just pregnant women it's great for you know if you're a fitness guy and you want to eat a bunch of tuna and, and optimize your health and your recovery. And because mercury is a neurotoxin. So even if you're not concerned about the issues of, of your, you know, your, your brain function or some of these motor skills or the things that can happen if you're a, like a, someone like you, Melanie, who, or me who eats a ton of fish, if you're not concerned about the, just the accumulation from diet, but you're just trying to be peak performance and optimization you want to mitigate and remove as many toxins from your body as possible because when your toxins are removed, then your body can fix, spend its time not on removing toxins, but spend its time on, you know, healing torn muscles and, and fortifying your brain function and doing all the things your body will continue to work. If it's not removing toxins, it's going to continue to work on making yourself healthier and better. So even if you eat fish only a couple times a, a week and you're still focused on, Maximizing your optimism your, your mind and your body and your health and your your physical fitness and wellness you still want to wherever you can mitigate toxins and again mercury being one of the more dangerous neurotoxins is a great one to remove from your diet and so I don't want this to be like a, a child and and maternity thing it can be an every person thing so you know my my co-founder Brian you know he was he his wife was pregnant when we were rolling this. And so she was able to eat safe catch for her, but he's a very healthy guy, doesn't drink and stuff like that. And he was hyper-focused on his health and wellness and optimization. So for him, it was in his household, this was just a home run for both his wife and his, now his kids and himself for being, you know, optimizing his physical wellness. So I don't know if that's a good place to, to close it up, but that's, that's kind of the safe catch story and, and why we built it and, what we've learned and what we're trying to do.
2: It is absolutely incredible. The last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it ties into this so much because I'm just so, so grateful for what you guys are doing. So, what is something that you're grateful for?
0: I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to to speak with you here. And I'm I'm grateful that while my mom got sick and it was a traumatizing experience for me and my past that we were able to take that experience and create a product that fully encapsulates our values to protect other moms like my mom. And so that's what I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my partners, these fishing companies, there's a lot of people that took a big risk, Melanie, on supporting our business and going against the grain and allowing us to disrupt and, and to provide this product and to do this work you know, if without them, this wouldn't exist. And with them, we can protect moms and kids and everybody and give this opportunity. So I am grateful for you to be able to share this story. I'm grateful for my partners for be, to be able to create a product that can realize our vision and, and our values and mandate. And those are the things that I'm most grateful for. And I'm grateful for an opportunity just to to be a part of it we run a flat organization where we're just really focused on helping. And so I'm just grateful to have an opportunity to help and to be a part of a solution.
2: Seriously. Thank you so much. I mean, I was already before this conversation so grateful for what you guys are doing and now just hearing all of that, like in granular detail and everything that goes into it and just how you go above and beyond everything I could have ever imagined. I'm just so, so grateful. And and also for listeners, I'm grateful for this as well. So if listeners would like to stock up on SafeCatch, which I obviously cannot highly recommend enough, let me just sing it from the rooftops, you can go to safecatch.com and you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon and that will get you 20% off site-wide. So thank you so much. Super, super grateful for that. And people could get this in stores as well.
0: One other thing I want to mention is, is we also do this work for your pets. And so before I go jump off, we have a brand called Pure Cravings, and so purecravings.com, you can go check that one out as well, and that would be the same values and attributes. We're starting now with cat food to help cats live longer, healthier lives, but we'll be working on dog food next. And basically, you know, for us, it's about providing pure, healthy food to, to people and animals while protecting the integrity of this planet. So if you guys have cats and you also want to look after them, check out purecravings.com. Same tech. Same philosophy, instead of working with OBGYNs and you know doctors, we're working with vets and pet nutritionists and doing it that way.
2: Wow. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to see, I mean, you've done so much already. I can't wait to see the future of all the things down the line. This is just...
0: Oh yeah, more will come and hopefully we can do a, a, another one of these chats in and, and some, some future date and we can tell you what's going on next.
2: Yes. That would be amazing. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. Again, listeners go to safecatch.com and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 20% off site wide. And just, yeah, thank you. I, I can't wait to see the future of everything and talk again and keep on doing what you're doing because it's changing lives.
0: Thank you so much, Melanie. And thank you for this opportunity to, to speak to you and to your to your listeners. It's, a, it's an honor.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Have a good day in Thailand. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Have a good day in Atlanta. Have a good night.
1: Thank you. I will. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.